Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 408. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here today, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to our guest, Esther Weinberg. Esther is the founder and CEO of Mindlight Group, and I know a bit more about her than, well, than I've shared with you because I obviously haven't shared anything yet, but (laughs) Esther, welcome, and I would love if you would do yourself justice and introduce yourself to listeners because you know your story better than anybody else. Oh my goodness, that's like giving me the floor. (laughs) Oh, please take it. (laughs) So funny. So my name is Esther Weinberg. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really grateful because... It's so funny, I was so attracted to even the name of your podcast, because I do believe in positivity very much. And so, so what I do, I digress. So myself and my company, we work with entertainment companies, entertainment technology companies, their employees, specifically their leadership teams on implementing cultures of dignity at work. Because we really, our mission is that we believe that it's a basic human right for everyone to feel trust, respect, and safety at work. And since we spend more time at work than anywhere else, why not have it be a place where people could feel all that? Because I know so many times people have talked about happiness or fun at work, but we find that if trust, respect, and safety we found is the number one thing, if it was implemented in the workplace, can make just a a tremendous difference in everything. Oh my! So that's me. That's me. Well, thank you for giving that introduction and just telling us about yourself. I can imagine that just knowing the industry that you're in and what you do, are you on fire right now? Like, especially with all the news that has been breaking out all over the entertainment industry. I mean, I know what you're in now, but just so much. It's a funny thing because, look, the Harvey Weinstein case, I mean, no one could have predicted that, or maybe they could have years ago. And the issue of sexual abuse in workplace culture, it it dominates the headlines. But you have to remember that if you ask any woman that these issues are all over the place, they're not just in Hollywood, they're Hollywood and other industries and they're accused of the same behavior. So it's, I would say that movements like the Me Too movement is a clear demonstration of a breaking point. I would say both women and men, because I think if we just have the exclusive conversation with women, we're missing the point. Both women and men want to be treated with respect. They want an environment where people can trust each other and feel safe. And simply eliminating bad conduct isn't enough. Positive behavior doesn't automatically replace poor behavior without a fundamental change to the guiding principles throughout the organization. Oh my gosh, how true. And I love the fact that you brought up that it's not just women, it's also men. I actually broke off a partnership agreement that wasn't quite yet a partnership agreement. And what I mean was like, we didn't have a partnership agreement signed, but Mm. we were in works of building a company together because even though it was supposed to be very positive and impactful towards the world, there was a matter of disrespect that was just there and present. And I realized that I couldn't go any further with it. Mm-hmm. And whereas in my past, I mean, I'm almost 40, I'm 39. Mm-hmm. In my 20s, and even up until a couple of years ago, I would have just kept on going. Yeah, thinking yeah. It, it's going to get better. You can put up with of this. Course. Yeah, it'll change. <laughs> Don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah. But 
I did ask once mm. for the behavior to stop and it did for a couple months and then it started back up again and it's almost like it bred like rabbits and it got so much worse and I realized, no, this has got to end and it's not just going to end on its own. Like I have to end it. Mm. And I'm just curious. Do you think any part of this issue is that people haven't just called it out and said, this has got to stop and like lack of confidence, like maybe I had? I just think it's a bigger problem than a lot of us know. I mean, you already brought that up. There's just so much disrespect and it needs to be tackled, but I just don't really understand why it doesn't more so. And maybe the Me Too movement is just such a great example. I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. the people staying quiet and they're scared and they don't say anything because it's going to hurt their career. Why? Well, I think it's it's a very powerful point that you bring up because, well, I say it's powerful because I find that in this conversation about workplace behavior, what is not being talked about is the small things. And I think that the small things, now to what we're talking about, they're actually quite big, but the small things make up the bigger points. So for example, like what exactly what you're speaking with, or for example, like, let's say, why bother developing the person reports to me because they've messed up twice and I haven't had a moment to coach them. And instead I'm going to tell them to simply fix something or I don't debate my coworker because I think that they're argumentative when they simply don't always agree with me. (laughs) Or if I don't agree with someone else's decisions, I actively ignore them and I encourage other people to do the same. That's what I call the small big stuff, meaning that they're seemingly may be small to some people and they may chalk it up to, oh, that's just how Sam behaves or Joan behaves or Bob behaves. But the truth is that if the second we allow that behavior to continue, then it becomes bigger things. And then people turn around going, wait a minute, why isn't there, why don't people trust each other here? Well, they don't trust each other because you cut them out of a meeting. (laughs) You're not not developing them. and They don't feel valued. So I think that it's, I would say that you're asking why. The only thing I would say is a couple of things. One is, I think that oftentimes these smaller issues don't get nipped in the bud immediately. I don't necessarily think sometimes that managers are coached and developed and trained on how to have these conversations. Most people don't want to have conversations that they deem to be challenging or difficult, so they shy away from it. And if they think that you or I, who they're having a conversation with, is going to be argumentative or difficult or squirrely or may cry, people will avoid it. They just will. So I think there's a confluence of things like that that make up the why that it's happening. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I'll throw in there is because oftentimes we are not taught how to create healthy boundaries inside of the workplace because there's a lot of work. I just met with a woman this morning. She's working 70, 80 hours a week. She's working till 12, one o'clock in the morning, every day, six days a week. Because we're not taught to have healthy boundaries, because we think it'll make us seem like, to your point, people will look at me like I'm not working that hard, or you're not working hard enough to get promoted, or you don't care enough about the work. And we don't respect and teach people. I really think it's educating people on how to create healthy boundaries then you see some of this too. Yep. Thank you. I have faced that in my own business. And I set a lot of it up myself 
by mm-hmm. responding to text messages, by responding to emails, Currently. Skype. And I don't mean just after five o'clock. I mean, after 10 o'clock. Sure. And by doing that repeatedly, it makes people think that they can just keep on doing it. Oh, yeah. I remember I had a client once who was like, you know, we did an offsite and a team member got up. This is like a room of 30 people. And they said, I don't feel that you respect our work-life balance. She was like, what are you talking about? I let you leave early and flex time and all that. And then later on, she and I were talking. She's like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm trying to, I'm racking my brain. I'm racking my brain. And we got into this whole conversation and she said, wait a second. I email people at 11, 12 o'clock at night. Whenever I have an idea, I just shoot off an email. And I wonder what impression that's giving people. And so when she checked it out, she realized that that was part of the culprit. While she was thinking, she was just writing emails because it's not that she even expected anyone to respond to her. It was just when she thought about it and whenever the person would get to it, they would respond. But the other person kept feeling I had to respond in the moment. And so what she did, which I thought was great, was she would write a lot of emails and save them to her drafts. And then when she got into the office in the morning at eight, nine o'clock in the morning, then she would send all those emails out. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. I let my team members know right up front. And I think communication is part of that. You know, let people know, hey, I'm going to send you an email, but do not feel or don't respond. And I've had clients do that to me. Hey, I'm just getting this off my chest now. Don't respond till Monday. Like, uh-huh. I do not want to hear from you until Monday. It's great. I'm not supposed to be working, so you shouldn't be either. <laughs> right. But we all know. We all, listeners, I didn't say that. I work <laughs> nights and weekends. <laughs> but I turn off my Skype. It looks like I'm unavailable. I mean, it looks like I'm unavailable or in offline right now. Mm. I shouldn't be admitting that. <laughs> right. But. Even though you may know I'm online when it goes unavailable, that doesn't mean I have to respond. And so many of us just need to do that. I turned off notifications on my phone because Mm -hmm. I will get to it when I get to it. Sometimes I wish that we could go back 30 years ago when (laughs) we didn't have these devices that were interrupting us all the time. Well, you know, it's a funny thing about the devices because they are incredibly disruptive to your point. The notifications and all of it can be incredibly disruptive. On the other hand... It brought us closer together in some ways. It's made us more informed in some ways. I think the thing is that, you know, you have to remember that technology is bringing all these opportunities that we were never faced with before. To your point, notifications. Who thought what disruptor notifications would be? (laughs) So, So if I am CNN and I want people to be up to date on the news, I think it's my responsibility to offer notifications, right? You know, that's like in my business mandate because we want people to be educated and up to date on what we're doing. But for you as the consumer, it's maddening. So I think that also what technology has brought to us is new conversations. How do we set proper boundaries? How do we have conversations with people about expectations where we didn't have before? Because I find where people go most awry is when they're off on their expectations, uncommunicated expectations. And so technology just brings the opportunity for us to re-examine how are we leading? How are we managing? How are we communicating? How are we doing differently? How can we leverage technology in a new way? How can we be on point about something in a different way? So it's, look, I had a client once, this is actually a really bizarre story. I had a client once that he and his team were trying to figure out how they could let them know when there is an issue that's on fire. You know how that comes up, right? And so there's an icon in your phone that's a monkey. 
literally a monkey. And then there's another icon in that looks like a little bit of a puff. So they called it, I mean, forgive what I'm about to say, like a farting monkey. So when you send the monkey with the puff, it means that there is something to attend to immediately. And so that's how they use technology to say, hey, this is a hair on fire moment and I can't reach you on the phone. And so this is an alert for you, know, for you to look out for. I love that. I'm going to have to borrow that. Oh, my gosh. I'm sure you wouldn't mind it. I thought it was an absolute riot. Now, of course, after a while, they did do it a little much, but it's okay. I thought it was a genius idea. Yeah. I mean, some people really do overuse the farting monkeys. (laughs) I'm going to have to compare them to my kids. We're trying to teach them about the boy that cried wolf, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. My three littles, who are three-year-old twins and a four-year-old, share a bedroom. And every single night, it's like a battle to get them to go to sleep because they're in there playing for a couple hours. Sometimes it would just be great if we could tie them to their beds, but that's not allowed <laughs> by the law, right? So, um, but they stay in there playing, but over the course of those couple hours, like they'll hit each other, they'll kick each other, they'll pull each other's hair, they'll spit on each other. You know, anything that's possible, they will do. Mm-hmm. Without drawing utensils because we got all those out of the room. Very smart. But... All of a sudden, something small will happen. Maybe mm-hmm. a street light shines from outside, hmm. like a car light, puts a shadow on the ceiling, and we will hear blood-curdling screams. Oh, wow. And they do this over the course of the night, and it drives my husband crazy. He actually moved out of the office because we have two teenagers as well who were driving him crazy. So he moved his office back to our bedroom, which is right across the hall. So he thinks when he hears one of those blood-curdling screams, somebody's bleeding or puked. <laughs> So we're trying to teach these three, this is the scream that you use when somebody is bleeding or is puked, right? And it's the same with the farting monkeys. Mm -hmm. Yep. Not everything, like just sit on it for a minute. Mm -hmm. Not everything deserves one of those. My 12-year-old is in the office right now and he heard me say farting monkeys. You should see his eyebrows. He just turned (laughs) around. He's like, what are you talking about? I thought you said you were on a podcast. He hasn't said it, but yeah. But I actually let a client go because I was hired for what was supposed to be about 10 to 20 hours a week. And, you know, she works three days a week and only half days and never nights and weekends. But it quickly grew beyond that. And it turned into an every weekend thing. You know, I just got a new idea. You need to build it out right now. And soccer season started for one of my sons. I was like, I cannot do nights and weekends. I'm a mom. My business Mm -hmm. is not my whole life. Mm-hmm. I've got soccer tournaments. And the response I got was, well, how long are those going to last for? And I, I just sat there just sort of like seeing question marks in the air. What do you mean? How long are these going to last for? We started this contract with the expectation that there wasn't going to be that. Wow. So that was a painful for me, though, because I had to have that conversation. Actually, I tried to have the conversation and it didn't go well. That was I'm not controversial. Or Mm. confrontational is what I'm trying to say. I don't think Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not controversial either, I hope. (laughs) But I'm not confrontational. So bringing it up and then having no positive response, actually no response at all, even though it was read, I was just like, okay, it's time to leave. Mm. And sometimes it's just what you got to do. But how do you suggest starting that conversation when something is going awry and needs to be addressed? It's a funny thing because... I find that it's not even the conversation that is really where we need to start. We need to start at the prep for the conversation. 
and once again, there's nothing that's absolute, but I find for the most part in people that I work with, that I coach and train is that they may not prep for the conversation that they're about to have or the prep that they do do is they say, let me think of the five points that I need to make talk to this person. While that is sound and makes sense and is completely a smart thing to do, I find that it's better if you do what I call the five A's. And what I mean by that is there are five questions that you answer and you can do it. I call it like the back of the napkin approach, meaning that you can type it in your phone and you can literally do it on the back of the napkin. It doesn't need to take forever. So the first A is aware. What are you feeling? Awareness. It's more of a question about the situation that you're in. What are you feeling about it? And remember, no one else is seeing this. So you can write whatever you want. I feel like a failure. I feel like a fraud. I feel like I'm not even going to be able to have this conversation. I feel angry. I feel upset. I feel demoralized. I feel frustrated. I feel like I'm not seen. Whatever that is for you. Then the second A is accurate. What is the truth about the situation? Because oftentimes when you feel something, you make your feelings the absolute truth of what's going on. Because I always say we invent dramas, never comedies. And so oftentimes our truth is our own personal interpretation, but it doesn't really mean that it's the truth of the situation. So for example, it could be that I'm really feeling, I had a scuttlebutt with my boss and I feel like she doesn't see me. She doesn't respect my value. She doesn't even really trust me. But when I say, what's the truth here? Well, maybe what the truth was, like if literally you're on the witness stand and you had to just talk about the facts, maybe the truth is that I brought her some data. I didn't give her any heads up about what it was going to be. She read it and on the face of no context gave me her interpretation. And then I took it personally. Maybe that's the truth. So that's accurate. Then the third A is acquire meaning what learning are you meant to get from this situation? What are you meant to acquire from the situation? I always find that every situation that's at our feet is always a gift and the best gifts are not wrapped in pretty packages and bows. Sometimes they're having these really difficult, gnarly conversations. So really what are you meant to acquire? So in the situation I mentioned before, it could be, Hey, I'm meant to learn that I really need to give my boss greater context or, you know what? I'm angry at her about a situation that came up before and I'm kind of holding a grudge. And so I'm really, what I need to learn is how do I tackle situations a little bit more in the moment? Then the fourth A is accountability. What is your part in this situation? How can you take responsibility? So like in the situation I brought up, maybe it's taking responsibility for the fact that I'm not that great at giving context or, you know what, I'm really running so much in the moment. I never have shared with my boss that I've got thousands of things on my plate and I really just need to focus on this one thing. Or, you know what, I don't know how to prioritize and I need help. And then the last A is action. What proactive action can you take? So maybe it's going and having a conversation with the person. Maybe you don't even need to have a conversation with the person because you've worked through all the A's and you realize that it's really your own self-work. And you don't have to actually go and engage in a tough conversation because the tough conversation is really with yourself. So I find that if you use those five A's as a good preparation lens, first of all, tells you you need to have the conversation. Secondly, it also gives you a way to dismantle how you're feeling about it because feelings are a good barometer, but they may not be the truth. 
I mean, it's the truth of how you feel, but it may not be the truth of the entire situation. So it's a good lens to see things from. That's what I would say about when you go to have a tough conversation with people. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I am so sorry, but I have to share this. I was sitting here when you were talking about preparation and A's. Uh huh. I was thinking preparation H. It's seriously ah! preparation A's. Just preparation A's and Apple. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 I knew you were saying A's. Okay. But I was just like, we all need preparation A's in our life. Yeah, hundred percent with everybody. Yeah. I mean, formula you can use with your friends, your spouse, your coworkers, with anybody, really. Oh my gosh, yeah. And the accountability. And I was thinking of what you said about, if I'm always telling my clients that I can always do stuff, and if my team members are always telling me that they can do stuff, but they Mm -hmm. don't let me know that their plate is getting full, and I'm so guilty of this, I've done it so many times. Yeah, I can do that. I forget (laughs) to say no. Then how are they ever going to know? It's not that we're making ourselves look weak. By saying my plate is full or I already have this and this and this. Do you want me to move this up first? Right. Then, yes, we're going to be behind the eight ball. People are going to get upset because their work's not getting done. You just committed to doing everything, probably four times as much as you're really capable of. I'm talking about people as in like a whole bunch of me's. Well, you're right, because also I find that like the client that I met with this morning, she's in a service business. And so saying no to something, it's like it's not meant to be in your DNA because you're providing services internally inside your company. High level, really important, leads to the bottom line kind of decision services. But there becomes a certain point, I find, because work is so voluminous today that we need a check-in with someone that helps us shift our leadership lens of what we truly need to focus on because everything can't be urgent and important. It just isn't like the Rockefeller principles. Everything is not urgent and important. At the same time though, sometimes we, because we're in it and because we know the dynamics and the politics, it may be very difficult to be able to segment what do I need to do first or what elements of what do I need to do first? So having a really good sounding board to help you navigate that is really crucial. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it took years for me to get that sounding board because I always thought, no, I don't need that. I've got everything under control. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but there is no I in team. Cliche is that, but there isn't. (laughs) It's the truth. I said to someone the other day, if we knew better, we'd do better. So it's all. Oh, I love that. Say that again, because that needs to get absorbed. If we knew better we would do better. Uh It's kind of like the old adage that I'm playing the best game I know how to play in the moment that I'm playing the game. And I want to be very clear when I say this, there's a few caveats to that. The caveats are that I have awareness of the game I'm even playing, (laughs) that I know even my role in it. So there's a few things that are caveats, but I find that When we go back and we have remorse or regret over something, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. But given the information you had at the time you had it, you made, hopefully, the best decision you could at the time. If more information came about later, then, of course, you would make an elevated decision later because you have more information or you have a different context or you have a different point of view. So I find that we play the the best game we play when we're in it, because also we evolve all the time. 
And so we forget that part of us being, even at work, work is the greatest university and teaching school that there is out there. And so we forget that we learn every day. And if we're being aware of what we're learning and synergizing it and upgrading our own CPU, then of course you're going to be smarter tomorrow than you are today. It's the way that it works. I wish somebody had told me that when I entered college. Yeah, I agree. Kim, you will learn more after you graduate. Mm-hmm. And, and not just after I graduate, like for the 17 years after I graduated, just, just to be totally honest, I feel like I've learned more in the last three years than I learned in the prior 36. It's just a different lens. Yeah. It's kind of like the learnings, I'll put it this way, that we have in our life is a mosaic or a tapestry. And so if we look at it that way, then we are constantly adding pieces to it. And, but if we are aware of it. So if I need to have, going back to what you said earlier, if I need to have a tough conversation with my boss, I have that conversation. If I afterwards do my own postmortem of how that conversation actually went, that actually is part of my own tapestry and mosaic of what I will do and not do when it comes by next time. And if I'm mentoring someone, I will share that information with them of do's and don'ts. If I'm leading and supervising someone, I'll also share with them that learning of do's and don'ts. It becomes part of it. If I get educated, I go to school, I do training and development, like we offer training and development. Those pieces come part of that tapestry and mosaic. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Can you share more about your journey about how you got to here? <laughs> yeah. When you say here, which here do you mean? <laughs> starting your company, starting Mindlight Group. So I was in the marketing and publicity world for quite a while. I had probably done marketing and publicity for about 12 different industries. And I'd worked for big name brands like Fox and Disney. And I'd also worked on the agency side, representing lots of different magazines and products. And in my last job at Disney, I was the head of publicity for the cable division. And at the time when I was doing it, I woke up one day and realized that I didn't really respect my boss. And it was a very tough thing because I didn't quite know what to do with it. And I was young and I didn't know that there were people called executive coaches. Had I known, I probably would have hired someone on the spot. And so I realized that I had a mentor of mine who said to me, you know what, look, I'm creating my own exit strategy out of this company. And I suggest you do the same. The company is changing very much. It's not necessarily in alignment to the way that I think. And I think you're kind of in the same boat. And he was right. And so I went through a process of recruiting my successors and thinking about that. And I remember one day I walked into my boss's office to resign. And she said, I think it's time for you to leave. So we both were on the same page about it. But the thing is, I didn't think it all through. Okay, I'm going to leave Disney. Now, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And so, and my ending with Disney wasn't as necessarily so glamorous. I think I burned some bridges. And so when I left, I just thought, oh, okay, I'm just going to start a PR firm. But I realized that publicity, and it is a fantastic industry, and I have to say it is one of the greatest training grounds, marketing publicity, one of the greatest training grounds to teach you how to be an executive. It wasn't necessarily the future that I wanted for myself, but I didn't know what else I wanted to do because I didn't know what else I could do. So I abandoned the idea of starting my own agency very quickly because I realized it's not what I wanted to do. And then I kind of went on this, I guess what Joseph Campbell would go my own hero's journey of really discovering what I wanted to do and what I thought I was good at. And none of that stuff is so glamorous because it's a lot of self-examination and 
And I remember I was taking a class that was taught by a woman named Barbara Scher, who'd written a lot of books on how you discover your passion and your career path. And through her inspiration, just by her reading her book and taking her classes, I found my way to doing leadership development work. And so at the time, I got enrolled in school to be an executive coach because that was one lens that I was doing. And I got trained and developed in being an executive coach. And that's how it originally happened. And that was almost 18 and a half years ago, as crazy as that sounds. Oh, wow. And then I ventured off and then now we do training and development and we assess the effectiveness of organizations. And so we up-level people's skills. And so we do a lot of that. But in the beginning, that's how it all started. I love how you said that you didn't know what you were going to do. I was in the same boat. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got laid off slash fired mm-hmm. in, in full admittance from my interior design job. Actually, when my ex-husband bought me a desk and a computer and all the stuff that I needed to start my own interior design business at home, this is 2008, Mm -hmm. that I didn't want to do that. But I had no idea what I wanted to do. While I do coach people today, I didn't know what a coach was then. And I didn't know to look for one. I I had just no idea. And I felt like I was lost in the dark. Mm -hmm. So I tried this and that and tanked a business really good. I had an e-commerce shop. swiftly put into the ground. Mm -hmm. Listeners, you've heard it said before on the podcast, our mess makes our message. Mine certainly made mine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think by the time I got to the end of Disney, when I decided that I wanted to leave, eventually, I think it became a situation where I got let go and it was a mess. And so I think that after that too, when you're recovering from your own contribution to something, because you're so initially, you may be like a victim, like why this happened to me and I can't believe it, what the heck am I gonna do next? And on and on. You know, having, I find that just taking the time to even discover what you're passionate about, it's almost like, I think way back then, I think I lost, or not lost, let me say that I think that it was like the undiscovered country of what I was really passionate about again. It's kind of like I just kept following my career path, right? I had this ambition. I wanted to be a vice president by the time I was 30. And I kept going down that road, going down that road. And then I got that. Then I got that. And okay, now what am I going to do next? Oh, I don't know. Oh, what am I going to do now? And then you wake up one day and you go, wait a minute. I've been following this career, but which pieces of it am I really passionate about? And instead, do I want to have a different renaissance or a different chapter in my life? And I think now, these days that we're living in now, society is more open. And I think we are encouraged to have more chapters in our books and more of a renaissance in our lives than perhaps was years ago when I was growing up. And it was more about you follow this one path until you've been there for 30 years and that's the end of it. And I think it's quite different. And I'm happy actually these days that millennials or Gen Z generations have it in a different lens to which that they can look at their career because it gives people that are Gen Xers and baby boomers permission to look at life in the same way. I agree. Yeah. I have to tell you, my ex-husband actually told me that I had to stay an interior designer because that's what my degree was. And on that note, I have to say the environment of dignity isn't just in the workplace. I mean, we need to be fostering that in our own homes mm. as well. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. Setting up that communication and respect with our 
significant others to start and then also letting our children see mm-hmm. it. And yes, I want dignity and respect for my children too. But there is also the parenting and the responsible upbringing. Mm. We can't be our children's best friends and still be the best parent in our opinions, mm. in, at least for my husband and I. Because if mm-hmm. we're all just goofing off of them, then there's going to be something missing. We tried. It didn't right. work. <laughs> but if they're not seeing it in the home, if we're not seeing it in the home, then how can we take it out into our companies, into our workplaces, anywhere? Amen. You can't give what you don't have. Right. And I think we forget too. I always tell executives that it's kind of like the Wanda Sykes joke when she did her routine and she did her show for HBO many years ago. And she said, people are watching you. And when you are an executive and not even when you're executive, when you're someone that people respect, people watch you. And so what are the behaviors, the attributes that you want to emulate? But you know what? You got to give that to yourself first. Because when we talk about dignity zone, we talk about how do you give trust, respect, and safety? Well, how do you give it to you first? You need to be able to give it to you first before you can give it to anybody else. Thank you. I'm into that too. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that took so long for me too. I mean, working myself into the ground, how can I treat my team with respect? I mean, just when they see that I'm exhausted because I'm working too late. No, That's right. Just because I'm doing it doesn't mean you need to do it. But there is that comparison, you know. Mm. Now, this is an amazing part of my team. Mm. But when they do see that I'm working late, they want to chip in and help. Oh, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. And for that reason, I don't want to be working late, right? Right. Because <laughs> the pillars of positive productivity are self-care systems and support. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. building the brand has to be from the inside out. That's Self-care right. systems and support. So That's let's right. get it set up inside so we can go out and share it with the world. But if we don't have self-care in here, then it can't go out there. Well, and also to your point, I mean, if you're showing your team that in certain instances, putting in effort and really grinding sometimes things out is necessary. Look, we all know that. It's when it becomes habitual and when it becomes every day. And then when we're emulating that to people, it's not sustainable, not sustainable for us, no less being sustainable in terms of how we're showing it to other people and expecting other people to do it too. It's just not sustainable. No, it definitely isn't. I learned that the very hard way twice. (laughs) But the first time didn't put it through my brain because I was Mm. still following the wrong course, in my opinion. And I thought, this is the way to go. Got to chase income. Keep on going. Keep on going. like, Like finding Nemo. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Finding Nemo. Yeah. But after the second time and getting majorly sleep deprived and Mm -hmm. just majorly anxious to the point of wanting to end it all, I realized, okay. And then it just hit me. This Mm. is what I need to be sharing because I cannot allow other people to be the same way. There was a lot of other stuff that happened in there. Listeners someday will be able to share. But I know that was like cliffhanger. Yeah. But I had seen enough with other entrepreneurs who had taken their own lives that I just couldn't take my own brush with that and just right. ignore it anymore. Yeah, it, I would it needed to stop with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are some of the, I want to say tools, but I don't know if that's the right word that you use in your own business with your own team to make mm-hmm. sure that there's dignity and respect. The first thing I do is to make sure that I check myself. I would say that the first question when something goes awry is I always say, what am I here to learn and what did I contribute to it? 
but not as a place of, oh, what was me? You know, what the heck did I do? But really like, okay, what happened and how did I contribute to it? And what am I here to learn from? I think that when you ask yourself those questions immediately, it turns things, because I had a few things happen with my team over the last few months, and I've had to be very introspective to say, okay, well, what did I do? How did I contribute to this? What did I do that was clear or not clear? What am I really meant to learn and what can I really take responsibility for? And that's been tremendous learning. I think if we do that all the time, I think it just, because we need something to keep ourselves in check plus having good people around us who are really honest. The other thing is I do think that having appreciation and gratitude, not as a place, and I'm not talking about this in some woo-woo self-help kind of way, but I'm talking about really what you, the old adage, what you appreciate appreciates is true. If you appreciate people, if you care for people, if you tend for their well-being, you create a happier workplace for them. You just do. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. I would say that that's some of the most important things to be mindful of. Yeah. Because, you know, look, I can't control how someone's going to react to things that I say. I can't control how people will react to what I do. I can't control what people's motivations will be. There's certain things that are totally out of my control. What I can control is how I think about it, how I respond to it, how I react to it, and then the actions that I take as a result of it. Mm-hmm. That is 100% all of our responsibilities to do. Now, look, let's be clear. I'm not a saint here. There's no way that it works every day perfectly. In fact, it doesn't. But I would say <laughs> that But having a, um, a ritual, if you want to call it that way, I love rituals, uh-huh. having a ritual or a practice that gives you a formula for just even a couple of questions, two or three questions to ground yourself. I find that that helps to bring us present. And it doesn't mean, you know, it's kind of like customer service. You may get really bad customer service, but then how someone handles it all of a sudden turns you around to a better customer. I think that's kind of with yourself too. Like you may not have handled something so great in the beginning, but if you handle it better along the way, or if you learn something powerful from it along the way, then that becomes the learning and a good teaching for you down the road. You won't do it again. Oh, definitely. And I've seen that myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had horrible experiences, but when I get on the line with a good customer service person, it's okay. That's right. Let's suppose that something just hits you from way out in left field right now. And I know you just said you're no saint. I'm no saint either. And I would love to say that every time I get hit with something from mm-hmm. out of left field, I sit and I breathe and I get it under control. That would be lying. Sure. (laughs) There's always that, oh, crap moment. Always. But do you have an immediate action that you try to take? Yeah, it's a funny thing because I have learned a couple of things. One is I do my best not to respond to emails that are triggering to me in the moment because I find that that's a setup for myself. And most things that I think that I need to respond to immediately, I really don't. So I will say that if I'm triggered there's a few things I think of is first of all, is to be aware that I am triggering. So it's not, and it's very physical, it's physical for all of us. And then to be aware of how am I being triggered? So is it more about my, how I'm in relationship with people? What's true about the, how I see that something is true, where I feel like something is about myself, how I view myself. 
that I'm being triggered by. And then, like I said, I do my best not to respond to emails in the moment. I do my best not to respond to phone calls in the moment either. I remember years ago when I was doing publicity, my boss, Ellen Cooper, would say, she was on the phone once with the reporter and I remember she got off the phone and, you know, the reporter tried to ambush her and having a response on something. And she said to me, there's always buy yourself 10 minutes. <laughs> she would say, you know, you can always buy yourself, you know, just a wee bit of time to really think about something. And so I would say that that's what I really do my best to do. doesn't always work, but that's what I do my best to do. I love that. How long did it take for you to learn that you didn't have to respond right away? When I would send emails and that I realized afterwards that either I needed add more context or I realized my tone wasn't off or I realized how people were responding to me. Yeah. Then I was like, well, you know, I don't think I should be doing this right off the bat. I think I should wait a little bit. Yeah. What I'll often do is write a draft. Yeah. Or write it so out much and then just let it sit. Uh-huh. So much smarter. Often they get deleted. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Most of the time they will because yeah. it's knee-jerk reaction, which is never always you're in support of what you're really looking to achieve. Yeah. What is the favorite work that you do right now? Like, what is your favorite thing within your business to do? Oh, there's so much. Like, how do I choose? I know that's like asking <laughs> you what your favorite or who your favorite kid is in my house. The greatest moment that I would say is the day that I woke up and said, wow, Look, being an entrepreneur is not an easy business. I have lots of people that call me and will say, oh, how do you develop your business and how do you grow? And then I'll talk about all the facets of it. And people will say, I don't know if I want to do that (laughs) because we all want to do the fun stuff. And I will say that, look, the fact that I get to interact with the kind of people that I interact with every day, I think is one of the greatest gifts in the world. Meaning that my clients or people that want to be clients or people that I talk to about training or coaching or building leaders inside of their companies. I mean, if you would have asked me 20 years ago if I would have been doing something like that, I probably would have told you you're crazy. So now I I get joy out of it. I mean, I think that it's like next week, there's an organization that we're doing work with an organization called Promax BDA. And I think that they're an amazing, they're an association for marketing and creative leaders and they're a global organization. They're absolutely, their mission, their mandate is incredible. They bravely decided to do a session next week on relevance. How do you stay relevant in this current climate that we're in? And so I think, and the fact that they asked me to come and do the session, I feel really grateful and very grateful that I get to interact with all these people, talk about how do you stay relevant in a climate that's really complicated? That's such an interesting question. I've Mm -hmm. never thought about that before. Yeah. Wow. Our next podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about that every single episode here. I mean, how mean, I I do try to pull in stories from my kids that are relevant. What are you most excited about in the next 90 days besides the talk about relevance? Oh, let's see. So we're launching a 12-month leadership program called Thrive, which is, it's an exceptional program that's geared specifically for marketing and creative leaders, up-leveling them to kind of go from that mid-level to executive level. So we're launching the program in the next week. It's our fifth cohort, which is incredible. And we close out the fourth cohort, which is always very sad for me. And we graduate, I mean, it's happy, sad that we're graduating 13 dynamic, incredible individuals that are graduating from that program. So I would say those are 
two things that I'm incredibly over the moon about launching a mentoring program in the next few weeks to be able to up-level both senior executives on how they mentor these wonderful high-potential leaders. So I would say, and then starting to really crack through the beginning of interviews for a potential book that I'm doing. So all of that, I'm really excited about in the next 90 days. Uh, that sounds like a lot to be excited about. And then I'll throw in one more thing. And then also we're launching five new programs that are geared for teams and creatives, that mesh of creatives and tech folks and executives. And so that we're launching in the next few weeks too. So there's a lot going on. How do you choose which one to focus on right now? That is a lot of discipline. Because mm -hmm. basically what I do is I've got a map for the year. You know, first of all, I create goals. No, first of all, well, actually, let me step back even there. Make sure that our vision and mission is very much alive and in alignment. Create goals and milestones for the year. And then create a roadmap for strategy for the whole year. And then, of course, it all changes. <laughs> and then closely monitor that strategy on a monthly basis um, of how it's moving and changing. And then that dictates on a granular level of what I focus on a, on a weekly basis. I need to start doing that. I found that it was actually something that a mentor showed me. Like you have like this really macro view, but unless mm -hmm. I take it down into the weeds. Yeah. And this is just for myself. Then it doesn't move. So I find that if I take it down to the granular level and my calendar, I will say, I teach people this too, that your calendar is a vital tool for making sure that you time block and that you've got segments of time, like for clients or for learning or for admin or for, I don't know, new business development, you know, marketing, whatever the segments are for your particular profession. Yeah. That's very critical too. And then making sure that the things that you're doing fall into those slots or you do it as closely as you can. I find that that's the most vital part of really being able to prioritize. I agree with that myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I wasn't time blocking, I felt like a top spinning around. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. Ooh, Thunder decided to chime in on that one. Uh, well, Esther, this has been an amazing conversation. I really do want to have a part two and talk about relevance because I do believe that is so relevant. That was corny, but I know what I'm trying to say. True. Yeah. In today's digital era and just, just where we are, this day and age, it needs to be brought up. So let's definitely have a part two. But oh, I love that. In the meantime, where can listeners find you online and connect and get to know more and find out how they can work with you? It's very simple. Just go to the website, mindlightgroup.com. Mind like your head. Light like a light bulb, group like all of us.com. There you've got tons of resources. You've got ways to contact us. There's some free stuff there too. So that's absolutely the resource and great place that you can find me. Fabulous. And listeners, if you're driving or if you're working out, those links will be in the show notes at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP406. Esther, thank you so much again. I have had a blast talking to you and I really can't wait for part two. It's going to be too, awesome. Kim. Thank you so much. This is great. Oh, you're so welcome. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners? You know, I would just say this because so much of what we talked about today, we talked about dignity. And remember that dignity does start with you that you can't give what you don't have. And the most important thing is for you to give yourself dignity first. Give yourself permission to say no, to set boundaries. Lots of what we've been talking about today. I think that if you're trying to figure out where to begin, if you start there, that will set your trajectory very high. 
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. Thank you.